0: It all stems from not knowing what damn plastic is or Chinese writing. (laughs) If they just had that sorted from the very beginning, we wouldn't be in this situation now.
1: Maybe that's why now everything says where it's made from on it. Oh, this is made in China. So there's no ambiguity.
0: To the compendium, an assembly of times where I've said it's aliens, and it's turned out to not not be aliens, but this time I really mean it when I say it might actually be aliens amongst the possibility of it perhaps being something else entirely, which may or may not be just as fascinating and intriguing in its own right. Is this about aliens? (laughs) (laughs) It is about aliens, or is it? Am I lulling you into a false sense of security again and duping you? To make you believe that it might be aliens.
1: To be honest, I got really confused at that opening, but I think it's about aliens. I know it's about Roswell this week, so I'm pretty sure... I think is. that was
0: pretty fitting. I think so. It's an intro. I think so. A bit long-winded. Maybe that will be our sound bite for this week. Oh, God. <laughs> Should we get on with intros? Let's do it. I am Carl Reese, your host and self-proclaimed expert on all things extraterrestrial though I've never personally encountered a UFO yet.
1: Yet, and I'm Adam Cox, your co-host and believer that Kyle's expertise is mostly due to his excessive binging of X-Files episodes. But hey, I'm excited to talk about Roswell today.
0: Yeah, welcome. Actually, X-Files, did you just say that they were bringing that back potentially just before we started?
1: I did, yes. I think they're bringing it back, but not with Gillian Anderson, but it's something they seem to resurrect like with a movie or a few new episodes each
0: five years. If Gillian's not in it, it will never work. I'm sorry. (laughs) Gillian's like a national treasure, right? So without Gillian, it's not the X-Files. It's just something else. It's a spin-off.
1: Do you know what? I was really disappointed because obviously the truth is out there. And then every week they'll be like talking about whether it's going to be aliens or not. And then it's not aliens.
0: It's like our episode. <laughs> 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 Spoiler. But, hey, yeah, I do hope they bring it back. The thing is, though, it's always risky, isn't it? Can they do it justice to how it was in the 90s? I know, like, when you look back at it now, it's very dated and it looks mm. a bit in comparison to what we have now, but it's still a, it's a cult thing. Do you know what I mean? And you would either have to go even far above and beyond. Yeah, to it, was make a, it, work. it was a big deal, wasn't it, when it first came out?
1: I always remember the episode, the guy, I think it's called Squeeze or Tombs. Mm, or the guy no called squeeze. Oh, was Squeeze, yeah. yeah. The guy that would just fit down elevator shafts and yeah. stuff like that.
0: Didn't he, like, have this weird, he lived in this weird hovel in, like, the in the sewers or something, and he would always be covered, like, in this yellow goop?
1: Yeah, it was, like, in an alien pod or
0: something, wasn't He, he broke free from that or... I remember who he is. Isn't he the screw from, you know what a screw is, right? A prison screw. A prison guard from the Green Mile. The bad one who would be really mean to coffee. That was Mr. Squeeze.
1: (laughs) Mr. Squeeze. Mr. Squeeze. I'm going to have to Google that. Go on then. Hang on. Although Eugene Toombs was a liver-eating serial killer, the character was played by vegetarian actor Doug Hutchinson. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Appropriate. So is Doug Hutchinson, is he in the Green Mile?
1: That's the bit I was about to find out, but I was distracted by the fact that they needed to make a point out that he never ate liver. Yes, he was in the Green Mile by the looks of things.
0: Yeah, he was the bad guy that was wow, horrible to coffee.
1: A, that's a very well-remembered person, but he paid Percy Wetmore.
0: That's it, Percy. Little bugger. Mm-hmm. Anyway, shall we get on with all the latest things for this week? Let's do it. Right, so this week, just have the one thing, and that is the play that we went to go see last week. So by the time this goes out, it would have been a few weeks ahead, and it was called Diana, The Untold and Untrue Story.
1: It was bizarre, for sure. And I'd like to think some parts of it were true. I mean, there was some creative licensing with how they portrayed some of the characters, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. The Queen was a, a killer, basically, and like this big sort of, matriarch, like, pulling the strings.
0: As you said, a creative hilarious take on The Life of Princess Diana. It's written by Linus Carp, who absolutely delivers a really uncanny impression of Diana. So the play follows an alternative timeline that ends up ultimately not resulting in the death of Princess Diana, but instead leads to a timeline of revenge, which is just... Hilarious. I think one of the standout moments is the depiction of Camilla as a demon puppet, who was able to what's the word, um, contort just, herself yeah. into weird positions, um, and it's just hilarious. What was the her famous line in the show? Uh, cam, Cam, sad. Cam, Cam, sad. <laughs> Every time Camilla would come onto stage, the lights would go down, really dark, and everything would turn red, and then this puppet would disappear. And it's the same kind of style that if you've ever seen the lion king where the actors or the puppet masters are kind of engaging with their puppet it's mm-hmm. kind of in that sense but in a very undignified and kind of symbiotic way it's just like there
1: yeah i think i'd be
0: flung around the stage
1: i would agree with you it was like the symbioticness but yeah it was just like throwing her around the stage in people's faces and she was doing some very non-family friendly things at think, one point
0: yeah their knickers flying off.
1: Their knickers did come off. Um, <laughs> and then Prince Charles, or King Charles at the time, Prince Charles, he was played by a cardboard cutout.
0: Oh, yeah, budget, contra- bu- budget constraints, if you will.
1: Yep. So it was pretty much like a one-man, one-woman show. And But what I liked about it was the audience participation. <laughs> so just before the show started, one of the <laughs> guys on the production would hand out sort of cards which would tell you what role you'd be playing.
0: And I was Princess Diana's drama teacher fair enough it was only one line but it was an outstanding performance from Kyle Reese, I must admit.
1: (laughs) But I think my favourite supporting cast were those that were asked to play Princess Diana's mum and dad never met each other before until that night and they were asked to get up on stage hold up a bed sheet and had to try and reenact the making of Princess Diana.
0: The, make, the making of Princess Diana. Yes, that's true. And then nine months later, with her big belly, Princess Diana was born as a fully grown adult,
1: she, out between she, her mother's legs. Yeah, basically slid through her legs and out she was, wearing a dress. I think it was. Yeah, so, she was
0: dressed very regally. Yeah. Thanks, Mum and Dad. <laughs> I actually, I would say the stand-up performance was the corgis. I would have loved <laughs> that role of the corgis having to get on stage, put on a corgi mask, and just chase Princess Diana around the stage.
1: That's right, and had to roll on the floor and do tricks.
0: Exactly. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> so I highly recommend. So remember, you can catch the play up until the end of April 2023, but sadly, by the time this airs, it's going to be gone. Yeah, sorry about that. But you can stream the show online for a tenor, which I think is worth it. And that is all the latest things. So, Adam, this is episode, I believe, eight. Yes. (laughs) And we are going to be covering the Roswell incident. Yeah. Unraveling the truth behind America's most famous UFO crash. Mm -hmm. Tell me, Adam, what do you know about the Roswell UFO incident?
1: I remember actually in the 90s or maybe early noughties, there was a TV show called Roswell, which I think was kind of based on this. It was terrible. I remember that. (laughs) But what I know about Roswell, I think it's been spoofed or at least been part of different like TV shows. I think American Horror Story, whereby it's, they do, I think it was, yeah, one of the last series, they kind of set it, was it the 50s or 60s?
0: It happened in 1947. 47, 47. So that's very clear to me that you know nothing about the Roswell incident, <laughs> I know which it, is my original question.
1: I, what I do know is that there was supposedly an alien crash or they found uh, a spaceship mm-hmm. and there's a cover-up mm-hmm. and there's uh, whether they were suspected found aliens or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's all this kind of mystery of what's true. Mm-hmm. Co- yeah, yeah. cover-up.
0: And that's all you know think so yeah. do you believe in aliens
1: I believe there are aliens of some kind out there I don't think we're the only life in the solar system
0: because the thing is though if you ask people do you believe that there's extraterrestrial life out there people always go yes for sure there's got to be mm-hmm. but if you ask people do you believe in UFOs they go no <laughs>
1: Actually, recently, with all the like the balloons that America's been shooting down I'm sure there's someone's there's an article that came out recently whereby they're saying like actually they're investigating more UFOs or NASA is, or something
0: yeah i mean there's there seems to be a lot of government leaked documents that are keep coming out now because they 've kind of now entered into the public domain mm. so and now there's more and more accounts and reports of official reports of the government dealing with aliens and things like that, and people coming forward, which is exactly what today's episode is kind of about. Mm -hmm. I think, let me give you a brief overview. So it's the summer of 1947 in a small town called Roswell. The world has just emerged from the shadow of World War II and tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union are beginning to rise as the Cold War takes shape. It's in this atmosphere of uncertainty that something extraordinary happens. In early July of that year, a local rancher named William Brazel stumbles upon something peculiar scattered across his property. It will later be said that similar debris that was discovered on his farm was found across multiple sites spanning a 40-mile radius of this guy's ranch. The fragments that were found on Brazel's farm was extremely peculiar to Brazil at the time, and unlike anything he'd ever encountered before. Now, unable to determine the origins of this debris, word of his discovery quickly reached the nearby military base of Roswell. As the situation unfolds, the media gets involved, leading to a massive frenzy of sensational headlines regarding the possible flying saucer crash. That is being reported and this unexpected turn of events amplifies the mystery surrounding the debris and its origins captivating the public's attention at the time now within a matter of days the u.s military changed its story stating that the debris that was found on Brazos farm was actually from a weather balloon mm-hmm. but was it really just a weather balloon or was there something more to this mysterious incident
1: so even back then they were blaming it on weather balloons
0: Yeah. That's it. Wow. So the question is, Adam, why the sudden change of story? The Roswell incident would go on to become one of the most famous and enduring UFO stories in history, sparking countless conspiracy theories, just captivating the imagination of millions of people across the world. So, Adam, in today's episode of The Compendium, We're going to be diving into the events that unfolded in Roswell back in 1947 and explore some of the various explanations and the conspiracy theories that have emerged in the years since. So, my friend, buckle up, because we're about to embark on an out-of-this-world adventure. Are you ready? Let's do it.
1: Actually, first, one question. Area 51, is this anywhere near Roswell?
0: Area 51 is like Nevada. So that's that's like, I think, a few states to the north and then the west. Roswell is New Mexico, and it's the southeast side of New Mexico. Where exactly? I'm not quite sure. I think it might be in between Texas on the Mexico border. Now, before we dive into the details of the Roswell UFO incident, let's try to understand the significance of this event in a broader context of UFO and conspiracy culture. You see, the Roswell incident didn't just captivate the public's imagination back in 1947, it also continues to be a topic of fascination and debate even today. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this enduring interest lies in the fact that the Roswell incident marks the dawn of the modern UFO era, acting like a touchstone for the UFO enthusiast and conspiracy theorist kind of movement. Mm-hmm. It's this single event in New Mexico that is largely responsible for the shaping of the way that people think about UFOs and its connection with kind of the whole concept of government cover-ups. Also, the Roswell incident has had a profound impact on popular culture in general. Like you said earlier on, like you could recount all the different shows that depict kind of the events of Roswell or kind of this kind of UFO crash site and the conspiracy cover-ups around it.
1: Yeah, it feels like part of the American sort of history of the 20th century
0: that's it it has inspired countless books movies tv shows and documentaries all trying to unravel the mystery of what really happened on that day in 1947 and as a result of that a thriving ufo tourism industry has emerged over the years with thousands of people visiting roswell every single year to visit the museum and attend various annual ufo festivals and conventions now let's set the scene for where the story takes place, because this is going to help us understand a bit more about what actually happened. Mm -hmm. To do this, I'm going to take you a step back to examine the historical context in which this event occurred. So in 1947, the world was in this weird state of flux. World War II had just recently come to an end, and the devastating consequences of that conflict were still being felt across the world. While the United States and its allies had emerged victorious from the war, a new source of tension was already brewing on the international stage, and that was the Cold War. What do you know about the Cold War? That's a good question.
1: (laughs) I feel like I should know more. I
0: know it was with Russia or the Soviet Union at the time. Um... Well, you're not too far from what it was. So let's open up the sidebar. The Cold War um, was a period of tension and competition between the United States and the Soviet Union that lasted from the end of World War II in 1945 to the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. It was characterized by this global struggle for power and influence between the two superpowers, with both sides engaging in various political and economical actions to gain advantage over one another. It was kind of that stage where for a very long time, you've got communism on one side, you've got capitalism on the other. And it wasn't a case of communism as bad and capitalism as a good. It was literally like, oh, which one's going to succeed? Because mm-hmm. at that time, people didn't really understand that communism was a bad thing. It was like, what which system is better? Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of sums up what the Cold War is all about. So it's in this environment of heightened anxiety and suspicion that the American public was primed for stories about UFO sightings and the possibility of extraterrestrial encounters. And this fed into the broader narrative of the Cold War era. And at this time, and in the immediate lead up to Roswell, there was lots of UFO sightings that were being reported across the United States. Probably the most significant of these events was the Foo Fighter phenomenon. The Foo Fighter phenomenon. Yeah. I thought that would capture our attention. This was like these weird, mysterious, fast-moving lights that were being frequently spotted by military pilots across, like, America and kind of Europe mm-hmm. in that kind of area. Um, some speculate that these were either advanced enemy aircraft or extraterrestrial in nature, and this is where the modern UFO era started. Additionally, just two weeks before the Roswell incident, a private pilot called Kenneth Arnold reports to see nine unidentified flying objects near Mount Rainer in Washington. At the time, Arnold described the objects that he saw moving like a saucer would if it was Mm -hmm. skipping across the water. And it's this that led to the term being coined flying saucer. that's where that term comes from. So it's in the dawn of the Roswell incident that these terms started to be created. Now, these and other UFO sightings created a sense of curiosity across America. And the fact that the Roswell incident occurred at this crucial juncture was a perfect catalyst to spark this widespread interest in UFOs that has transcended up until today. Mm -hmm. Now, another piece of historical context to wrap our heads around before we start is to consider the looming presence of the United States military, especially in Roswell during the 1940s which was home to the Roswell Army Airfield also known as RAAF. This airbase is a bustling hub of military activity at the time and it's also home to the Elite 509 Composite Group which was the base responsible for the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in August 1945, just two years prior to when our story currently starts. What do you know of Hiroshima and Nagasaki?
1: So that was kind of one of the things that helped end the war, with them bombing, or the US bombing Japan.
0: That's it. Yeah, that's right. Now, there were two other important nearby facilities, like the White Sands Missile Range and the El Mogordo Bombing Gunnery Range, which were just hotbeds for research and development at the time. So there was lots going on in this area. Now, because of the military activity happening in this area, there was very much an air of mystery about the place. And even at that time, conspiracy theories about Roswell and what was going on there in the lead up to the Roswell incident was already rife. Mostly these conspiracy theories swirled around the development of advanced missile systems and rocketry, but When the strange debris was discovered on William Brazel's ranch, the way the military responded only added fuel to an already raging fire. Finally, in addition to the military presence in Roswell, it's also essential to consider another really important factor, and that is the state of radar and air surveillance technology during this time. At the time of the incident, radar technology was relatively new, having been developed during World War II. Now, radar allows for the detection and tracking of aircrafts and other objects, providing critical information about their speed, their direction, and their altitude. So this technology revolutionized air defense systems and played a pivotal role in both World War II and the early years of the Cold War. In the context of the Roswell UFO incident, however, the significance of radar technology, I think, is an important factor in explaining why the military took such drastic and decisive action at the news of the debris being discovered on Williams Farm. Because at the height of the Cold War and the fear that it instilled meant that any unidentified radar blips could represent a potential threat like a missile or an aircraft or something. So quick, decisive action needed to be taken immediately. So hopefully that gives you a bit of an understanding of the backdrop. that the Roswell incident occurred. So, the incident. Let's take a moment to immerse ourselves in the mysterious circumstances, looking just at the facts of what we objectively know about the events of that day. Picture yourself on that warm summer's morning on July the 7th, 1947. William Mack Brazel wakes up to the usual sounds of his fossil ranch located in the dry landscapes of the southern eastern portion of New Mexico. The sun has just begun to rise, casting a gentle low glow on the vast fields that seem to go on endlessly. Little did Mac know that seemingly ordinary day was about to become extraordinary. Do you like this writing? Yeah, you pitched that really well. I felt like I was there. I'm glad you're enjoying it. So as Mac went about his daily tasks, caring for his livestock and tending to the land, he couldn't shake this feeling that something unusual was happening. The air felt charged with a hidden secret and a light breeze seemed to hint at something. Brushing the feeling off, Mac continued about his day until later he mounted his horse and headed towards a distant part of his ranch to check on a herd of sheep that had not been seen for a couple of days. As he approached the site, William spotted something shimmering on the horizon, like a mirage in the scorching heat. He also noticed that his sheep were all huddled together in the far corner of the field, as if they were avoiding something.
1: They knew something was up.
0: They knew something
1: was up. You knew that sheep could detect aliens? He potentially suspe- aliens.
0: Yeah, potentially. He suspected a coyote or a mountain lion of some kind, The feeling of unease grew stronger as it got closer, and the air seemed to vibrate with this eerie energy. When he finally reached the top of a small hill, the source of his discomfort became clear. Spread out before him was a scene of strange debris, unlike anything he'd ever seen before. The fragments glistened in the sunlight, their metallic surfaces reflecting colours that he couldn't quite put his finger on. Curiosity piqued, Mac carefully examined the debris, noting the unusual properties of the material. It seemed lightweight, yet remarkably strong and flexible. He collected several pieces, planning to share his discovery with others who might have an insight as to what they actually were. Later on that day, with some of the debris in tow, William made his way to his neighbours, Floyd and Loretta Proctor, who lived 20 miles to the north, and he headed there on horseback. Can you imagine your neighbours being 20 miles away and you've got to ride to their house on horseback? I was just thinking how long that would take me. So by car, maybe about, what, 30 minutes? Yeah. On horseback? I don't know. With all this debris in tow, We don't know what the debris is. It could be like a big, giant, like... Like fuselage of of, of a, some kind of aircraft. And it's just dragging behind the horse. Yeah. Is that ha- what you're picturing in
1: your head? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Good. Dragging his flying saucer behind him.
0: As the evening drew in, together they scrutinised the strange fragments but couldn't determine their origin or their purpose. The pieces seemed to defy logic, challenging their understanding of known materials. As the sun dipped below the horizon, they discussed the oddity late into the night, speculating on what could have caused such a peculiar scene. It looked like metal, but it had the properties of paper and moved like water. Floyd Proctor would later say that it wasn't paper because he couldn't cut it with his knife and the metallic material was different from anything he'd ever seen. Floyd said the design, referring to the writing, looked like some kind of stuff that you'd find on the inside of firecracker wrappers and appeared to be some sort of numerical figures written in pink-purple pastels. It seemed to be written in columns and was nothing like he'd ever seen before. What do you make of Floyd's description? So I guess he's
1: trying to suggest he's read some kind of text or he thinks it's writing, Mm. but he obviously doesn't look like any kind of alphanumerical type writing yeah. that he's seen before.
0: Do you get the sense? This is the description of someone who has never seen Chinese or Japanese writing before in their life.
1: Yeah, because that's in columns, isn't it? Right? If you hadn't have seen that before, that could look like yeah. some kind of alien writing, I guess. Like hieroglyphics, kind of.
0: Yeah. Something not recognisable. Anyway, let's see what Loretta had to say. Loretta Proctor said about another piece of debris that William had brought with him, that the piece looked like a kind of tan light. Brown, very lightweight type of balsa wood. Now, balsa wood is similar to pine. She said it wasn't large, maybe about four inches long, maybe just larger than a pencil. She said that they tried to cut it with a knife. It wouldn't cut. They would hold a match to it and it wouldn't burn. She said, We knew it wasn't wood. It was smooth. It didn't have any real sharp corners, kind of like a dowel stick, but no grain. It was just smooth. Again, Consider the timing of this event, right? 1947. To me, it sounds like she's describing plastic. Okay, yeah. So I looked this up, right? Now, plastic was discovered in 1907, mm-hmm. but it wasn't mass-produced until after the Second World War. And then again, during the 1960s and 70s, that's when the consumer kind of demand for plastic products started materializing, coming to kind of mainstream. Mm-hmm. So is she describing plastic? Is this the words of someone who's never seen plastic before? I was just thinking, because
1: we've been brought up with all these different materials and things like that, and exposure to all different cultures. It's very hard for us to kind of see something now that's kind of completely otherworldly. So I yeah. imagine to them, this would be like, oh, what is this? What
0: is this? Yeah, it's alien.
1: It's aliens, yeah. yeah it's aliens. It's, it's, it's weird writing. Didn't you say there was some material that like, looked like water, paper? Then
0: Yeah. Anyway. William was eager for Loretta and Floyd to join him back at the crash site that evening to investigate further, but Loretta hesitated, reminding him that gas and tyres were expensive and they had still loads of chores that they needed to finish that night. So as much as they wanted to help, they had their own responsibilities to attend to. A couple days later, it was William's uncle who planted the seed that the debris could be something truly exceptional, and he encouraged William to bring the mysterious findings to the local authorities. Taking his uncle's advice to heart, William ventured to the sheriff's office in Roswell and presented the peculiar debris that he had collected. Sheriff George Wilcox equally baffled by the strange material, decided that the best course of action was to contact the nearby Roswell Army Airfield for further guidance. This decision would soon introduce a pivotal figure into our story. He's a guy called Major Jesse Marcel, with his role as an intelligent officer for the 509 bombing group at the RAAF. Mm-hmm. So... Marcel had extensive experience handling sensitive information and matters of national security. So this guy knows his stuff. So he's not going to be making any rash decisions or making anything up. Okay.
1: You would think so? Expertise
0: yeah. and yeah. yeah. So when Marcel arrived at the ranch, he was struck by the sheer volume and the bizarre nature of the debris. He examined the odd metallic material and it was really incredibly lightweight, yet impressively strong. Along with the curious markings and other unusual characteristics, he believed that the wreckage could be of significant origin. Marcel made the decision to transport the debris back to the base for more analysis. As this debris from the Foster Ranch made its way back to the Roswell Army Airfield Base, the military's involvement in the incident grew increasingly prominent. It wasn't long before the press caught wind of what was happening and they started clamoring for answers from the base and pressurizing the base to release a statement. Mm -hmm. Now, on July 8th of 1947, just a few short days after the discovery of the strange debris, the Army Air Base responded to the mounting pressure from the press, and they released a statement stating that they had indeed recovered the remnants of a flying disc. Now, this announcement, delivered by the public information officer a guy called Lieutenant Walter Hout carried weight in the military, right? The information officer releasing this statement. So, like you are going to take notice of that. And rightly so, the media did. As you can imagine, this caused a huge sensation. Headlines such as RAAF captures flying saucer on a ranch in Roswell, and Army finds Air Corps Disc on Ranch in New Mexico, they dominated the headlines fueling speculation about the possibility of extraterrestrial life and origin of this debris. And just like that, the small town of Roswell became the centre of this rapidly unfolding mystery. Can you imagine if the government released a statement like that, saying, oh, we found a flying saucer in Norfolk? How would you feel if tonight on the news, the government finds a crashed aircraft in the heart of the Norfolk Broads. <laughs> like, what would your first initial reaction be? Would you? Would it be of fear? Would it be of curiosity? Would curiosity. you be intrigued? Yeah, would, everyone would go down there, wouldn't they? They would, like, there'd be a big... i petrified. Big I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to eat
1: us. <laughs> Um, I was just thinking, when did they start putting made-in-China on materials? Why?
0: What's the significance of that? This is Roswell. <laughs> We're talking about the Roswell incident.
1: No, because I'm just thinking like, we're talking about sort of plastic
0: uh-huh.
1: and stuff like that. I'm guessing it didn't have anything like made in wherever it was.
0: I have no idea when they started doing that. But I mean, it's a pretty big clue if you see Chinese writing. I think it's universally known what Chinese writing looks like, especially today. But again, remember back then, 1947. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the frenzy caused by this initial press release about the discovery of a flying disc was short lived because just a short while later, the military issued a new statement claiming that the recovered debris was not a flying saucer, but was in fact just a weather balloon. And this seemingly out-of-the-blue revised explanation, which was endorsed by General Roger Ramey, who was a commander of another major Air Force base, completely contradicted the previous reports about finding a saucer, leaving many people to be sceptical about what the military's accounts of events or their true motivations actually were and why they suddenly just change their story.
1: Yeah, I guess people get suspicious of that. They'll be like, you said it was this, now it's yeah. this. What actually is it? What Are you hiding something?
0: Exactly. Or- it's not like the initial report was issued by just some random person at the airbase. It was the information officer that released that. And you don't make those decisions lightly, right? I
1: guess not, but maybe <laughs> if it's a material or something that he's just not familiar, and he's gone, oh, guys, we can't. Mm. We can't just say this was a balloon. We'll look stupid.
0: (laughs) So following the Ramney press conference, the Roswell story just seemed to melt away. Many suspected that this was the aim of the government and it looked like they had been successful in making that happen. The world would hear almost nothing about Roswell for another 30 years. That was the end of the story. Really? So Adam, those are the facts. You understand the backdrop. You understand the historical context. You Mm -hmm. understand what happened on that day. So tell me, are you leaning towards it being a UFO or just another weather balloon?
1: guess at this point it feels like it's nothing.
0: It's nothing. It's yeah. just it's a time where people didn't understand what maybe plastic was. It's a time where people maybe didn't understand what this weird helium balloon type stuff was. Mm-hmm. And when you read the accounts, all that was discovered was mostly this fabric stuff. Where's mm-hmm. the actual debris? There's no... No engine or anything There's no like engine. That. Yeah. There's no spacecraft. So, yeah. And are there any bits that make you raise an eyebrow about the official account?
1: Maybe the guy that basically put out that sort of first piece of news to say, oh, this is significant.
0: Yeah, what happened there? But the thing is, though, that's the thing that's really propelled this, right? If it wasn't for the first initial press release that said, hey, we found a flying saucer, this wouldn't be the story that it is today. Because remember, everything about the modern UFO phenomenon rests on this story, Mm all right? There are so many UFO stories out there. If one of those stories ends up not being true, that's fine. But if this one ends up not being true, that's a big thing, right? Because this is the first one. The story. It's the story, right? That catapults everything. Anyway. From the moment that the final word left Rami's lips at the 1947 press conference dismissing the Roswell incident as nothing more than just a weather balloon, a whirlpool of whispers and wild theories filled the air. And it wasn't until the 70s and 80s that these speculations really took off, fueling the public's curiosity around the story. Now, you might be wondering what caused the sudden resurgence of interest in Roswell. Well, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge the impact of Stanton Friedman's research. Now, Friedman is a nuclear physicist and a UFO researcher. Now, Friedman played a pivotal role in reviving the interest in the Roswell incident. And so in 1978, he interviewed none other than Major Jesse Marcel, who would have been 70 years old at this time. And he was the he, guy. He's the guy who the military initially sent to come and investigate the debris back in 1947. Yeah. Marcel claimed that the material he saw wasn't of earthly origin and that he had been forced to go along with the weather balloon explanation. Now, to many, this was seen as a massive massive revelation and so friedman's research and interviews inspired further investigations by other researchers and journalists into the roswell incident so this is the landmark event that happened right we have this government official guy who said actually it was definitely extraterrestrial and then boom sudden interest revives Mm -hmm. Um, another key factor was a publication of a book called The Roswell Incident. This book was published in 1980 by a guy called Charles Berlitz and William Elmore, and the book presented new witness accounts and suggested that the U.S. government was covering up the recovery of a crashed extraterrestrial So the media attention on UFOs and aliens began to grow, which attracted even more people into the movement, including even more researchers and even more enthusiasts. It's the same as like in the 1990s, where all of a sudden dinosaurs were a big thing, right? And that spurred all these young little kids to go into paleontology. And that's why we have Ross from Friends. (laughs) It's like a snowball effect, right? It's worth noting that the general atmosphere of distrust towards the government during the 70s and 80s as a result of events like Watergate and the Vietnam War made it easy for people to believe in government cover-ups and conspiracy theories in general. Mm -hmm. So the story of Roswell was just a victim of that mentality at the time. So, so much pressure was put on the US government throughout this time that eventually all this came to a head in 1994. When the U.S. Air Force just said enough is enough, and they just released a report titled "The Roswell Report: Fact or Fiction in the New Mexico Desert." Now, for an official U.S. government-backed report, that is the most clickbaity report headline I've ever read. The thing is, though, is they release another report in 1997 where they're like Roswell, case closed, they just got fed up with <laughs> it. <laughs> like,
1: okay, let's move on,
0: people. <laughs> yeah, come on, guys, calm down. So before we dive into the 1994 report, let's first look at some of the key theories that emerged between 1947 and 1994, because it seems that most of the conspiracy theories that emerged during this time can be divided into one of two camps, the belief that there was a government to cover up or theories revolving around alien bodies and autopsies. Okay. Okay. So proponents of the cover-up theory argue that the military's initial press release about the recovery of a flying disk was actually the truth. And the subsequent weather balloon explanation was just an attempt to hide the reality of an extraterrestrial encounter. That's the gist of it. So what makes people believe in the cover-up theory? Well, let's examine some of the key factors first. The swift and decisive response of the military in securing the crash site and removing the debris suggests that the incident was considered highly sensitive and required immediate attention. This level of urgency might also indicate that there was more to the story than just simply a weather balloon. Mm -hmm. Next, we have the conflicting statements from military officials. They initially claimed to have recovered a flying disc, but just a couple of days later, they insisted that it was just merely a weather balloon. And the sudden shift in the official narrative led people to believe that this initial statement was hastily redacted to conceal the truth of some kind. Many encounters from various witnesses at the time, including both military personnel and local folk, described seeing and handling the mysterious debris. They insist that the characteristics of the debris simply did not align with a typical weather balloon. And as it turns out, weather balloons were pretty common in 1947, especially around Roswell. They were frequently used by the military for all sorts of reasons. So when the government brushed off the incident as just another weather balloon, people couldn't help but feel like something was being covered up here. These testimonies seem to imply that the material showcased at the original Ramney Press release in 1947 had been swapped out. Mm -hmm. So lastly, we have intimidation of witnesses by military and government personnel. These officials supposedly threatened individuals with dire consequences if they spoke out about the incident or shared their experiences with the public. Now, if true, it would cast doubt on the official story and might suggest a cover-up. For instance, a local reporter who initially broke the story was called up by various military personnel in the aftermath of the incident and was supposedly threatened with his broadcasting license being completely revoked if he didn't stop talking about the incident finally a local fireman's daughter frankie Rowe, claimed that she was visited by a military man who threatened her life if she continued to discuss the case
1: are they doing that because they i feel like there's two ways of looking at that Mm -hmm. doing it because they're a bit embarrassed and they're just like, oh, can we just get rid of this? Don't worry, talking about it, because actually we cocked up mm-hmm. for something really stupid. Or there's a genuine reason
0: of yeah. covering it up. I think so. Like, we're going to go into it in a little while because the that 1994 report reveals something really interesting about this case. But while the evidence of a government cover-up is largely circumstantial, the persistence of these claims serves as a testament to the enduring power of conspiracy theories and the public's appetite for mystery and unexplained phenomenon, because it's Mm -hmm. captivating, right? Mm -hmm. People want there to be a mystery. And remember, at this time, this story of Roswell was already, like, big, right? So people wanted to either put their two cents in, even if it's true or not, right, add their twist to it and just fuel that mystery around this situation. Now, alongside the claims of a government cover-up, another prominent aspect of the Roswell UFO conspiracy revolves around the alleged recovery of alien bodies and subsequent autopsies as well. The origin of the alien body theory can be traced back to the early 1980s with the release of a book, The Roswell Incident. Again, that's the Charles Berlitz and the William L. Moore book. Now the book contains interviews with witnesses who claim to have seen or heard about the recovery of alien bodies. Before this point, there was no indication of actual aliens being involved. So
1: nothing was reported up until this book was released.
0: Yeah, that's it. The key witnesses that were interviewed by Moore and Berlitz were a guy called Glenn Dennis, who was a mortician who worked in Roswell, New Mexico, during the time of the Roswell UFO incident. Dennis claimed that he received a phone call from the Roswell Army Airfield asking about the availability of small hermetically sealed caskets and also about the best preservation techniques for bodies that had been exposed to the elements. Dennis was also an encore ambulance driver for the town at the time and he stated that later that day he went to the airbase and he encountered a military police officer who had warned him to leave the premises immediately. According to his testimony, he saw an ambulance with debris that looked unlike anything he'd ever seen before. The question is, why was an ambulance being used to recover or transport debris if it didn't also contain a body? That's weird. It is weird. But it gets more interesting because Dennis also claimed that a nurse that he was acquainted with at the base told him that she had been involved in an alien autopsy. She described the beings as having large, elongated heads and that their bodies were really small, smaller than that of a human being. However, it needs to be said that the nurse's identity has never been conclusively verified, and there is no solid evidence to support the alleged involvement of an alien autopsy, unfortunately.
1: So the people that found the debris in the first place never spoke about aliens, right?
0: No, they didn't. But there is claims that the debris actually spanned across a 40-mile radius, and there were multiple different crash sites. So what they're saying, the rest of the other crash sites were successfully covered up at the time. Next up, we have a guy called Frank Kaufman who was one of the witnesses who came forward with information about the Roswell incident years after it occurred. Now, he claimed to have been involved in the recovery operation of a crashed UFO in 1947. Now, Kaufman served in the military and was stationed at the Roswell Army Airfield. Now, in the 1990s, Kaufman began sharing his account of the events surrounding the crash. According to his testimony, he was part of the team that was dispatched to a crash site to secure... The area and recovered the debris. He claimed that the debris was not from a weather balloon, but was from an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Kaufman also alleged that there were multiple impact sites, and at one of these sites, he observed alien bodies. He described the beings being small, about four feet tall, with large heads and slender bodies. <laughs> slender bodies. Slender bodies. Next, we have Frankie Rowe. She was the fireman's daughter.
1: Yes. Right. And she was yeah, told not to speak, basically. That's
0: right. She was a young girl at the time of the Roswell incident in 1947. Her father, Dan Dwyer, he was a fireman in Roswell who reportedly responded to a crash site. Frankie Rowe claimed that her father had seen an alien spacecraft and the alien bodies at the crash site and later recounted the story to his family, including Frankie as well. In her testimony, she stated that her father described the wreckage material as being incredibly lightweight and unlike anything he'd ever seen before. He also mentioned encountering small non-human bodies with large heads at the crash site. And according to Roe, her father's sightings of these bodies were also corroborated by other firefighters who were also present at the scene on that day as well. So
1: multiple reports by different people all saying the same thing about these slender four-foot aliens. Yeah. Okay. That suggests that there's something in Do you
0: yeah, reckon? There's some
1: truth into this, right?
0: Yeah. Unless
1: they're all got together, this will be fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Who knows? It's, it's possible. It could be that these people are just looking for the 15 minutes of fame, right? Mm. Uh, wanted to be part of what is, at the time, this huge story that is evolving and emerging out of the eight, 70s and 80s.
1: Put Roswell on the map.
0: Put Roswell on the map and put me directly in there as well and solidifying maybe a legacy or I'm part of the story, I'm connected to it. Yeah. Now, the alien body theory did gain further traction in the 1990s with the release of several supposed leaked documents and videos purporting to show alien autopsies. One of the most famous of these is the so-called alien autopsy footage, which emerged in the 1990s and was presented as a genuine film from 1947. The footage also depicted a team of scientists in hazmat suits examining a humanoid creature. It was later revealed, though, that this was a hoax. Nonetheless, the widespread attention it received only added more speculation surrounding the Roswell incident and the alleged recovery of alien bodies. Because remember, once it's out there, that's almost what people remember, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't actually remember it being redacted Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts? Do you reckon aliens were involved? Do you reckon that they actually recovered aliens from this?
1: Part of me wants them to have done because that'd be it's the unknown.
0: You want to believe.
1: Want to believe. The truth is out there. The truth as, is out as, there. As uh, Mulder would say. But then, yeah, I guess there's what you said earlier about the fact that no one talked about bodies, or at least it wasn't reported until the 80s with mm. his other book kind of feels like maybe, yeah, like you say, someone's just trying to get their fame.
0: Yeah. Anyway, we're now at 1994. So should we have a look at that 1994 report that was released by the military to see what they had to say about this? Fact or fiction. Fact or fiction. So after years of speculation, conspiracy theories and pressure on the military to share what information they had on the events surrounding Roswell, the government finally gave in with the release of the 1994 report titled The Roswell Report, Fact or Fiction in the New Mexico Desert. The report provided a brand new perspective on the incident, and we're going to discover what that report had to say right now. I'm
1: going to be sad if you say there's no four-foot slender aliens.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. The report linked... Roswell to a top-secret government project called Project Mogul. This project involved the launch of high-altitude balloons equipped with really super-sensitive microphones designed to detect sound waves generated by Soviet nuclear tests. The ultimate goal was to monitor and collect intelligence on Soviet Union nuclear capabilities during the early years of the Cold War. So it's already a time where tensions are high, secrecy is paramount, espionage is rife, people are spying on each other. Do you know what I mean? It's top secret stuff, right? However, unlike weather balloons, these mogul balloons were monstrous, often spanning 700 feet in length. Imagine a big skinny balloon, 700 feet, 700 feet, they're massive. And they're not just one of them. Because of the size of the payloads that this thing could physically hold, the balloons would often be chained together in a string of several balloons spreading out the payload because
1: they're just huge. So you said these balloons are 700 feet in length. So a typical balloon or air balloon is 55 feet across and 60 to 80 feet tall. That's a hot air balloon. So
0: this is huge. These things are massive. Remember, when I say in length, don't think of a ball it's a skinny skinny balloon but there's loads of them so sometimes
1: in space you see i'm sure you when things are crashing to the, and they've got basically a balloon that shoots out yeah it's that kind of long balloon Mm -hmm. yeah
0: that's it with you but they're kind of daisy chained together so there's a bunch of them right Mm -hmm. and would also account for if there was a crash and this was the mogul balloon remember because they would carry huge payloads big old instruments that would weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds it would make sense that there would be several different crash sites, Mm -hmm. right? If there was a big storm, which from some accounts, there was the night before Brazil discovered the wreckage, imagine the payload being severed. That falls down instantly on one site. Then the balloon then kind of drifts down mm. across several other sites, mm, right? Sure. So it makes sense how that could easily be spread across a 40-mile radius. Mm-hmm. Now, according to the report, the unusual debris found at the crash site, including the metallic-like foil and the strange symbols reported by some witnesses, could be explained by spy balloons used in Project Mogul It could also explain the secrecy surrounding the case at the time, too, because... It makes logical sense that the military was understandably unwilling to disclose the true purpose of crash balloon since it involved Cold War espionage. And spying. So, yeah. Exactly. Which at the time was super top secret. Now, the release of the 1994 report provided a more plausible explanation of the Roswell UFO incident. However, many people question why it took so long for this information to come to light. Critics argued that the Project Mobile explanation was simply another attempt by the government to cover up the truth about extraterrestrial encounters. Do you know what? There's no pleasing some people. The official date that the Cold War ended was December the 8th, 1991. This report was released in 1994. I think that's pretty timely. Considering all the red tape and the bureaucracy associated with governments, I think three years to release a report, is pretty goddamn timely.
1: Yeah, if you think about now when there's reports like COVID and then something comes out about that, what happened and how it was conducted, it's usually a couple of years after the yeah. main event.
0: Yeah, so I don't think that there's anything in that, if I'm honest. Three years is fine. Now, despite the controversy surrounding the 1994 report and the ongoing debate between believers and sceptics, the US Air Force has maintained that the Project Mogul explanation is the most accurate and credible account of the Roswell UFO incident. While the report has not completely quelled conspiracy theories or put an end to the public fascination with the incident, it has provided an important perspective on the events of 1947 and the historical context in which it occurred, because it was in the middle of the Cold War, right? Mm-hmm. Now, while the 1994 report did offer an explanation for the debris found on Foster Ranch, it didn't address the rumors and claims of alien bodies and autopsies that have been a huge part of the story. That's where the 1997 report comes in, also released by the U.S. Air Force, and this report was titled The Roswell Report. Case Case closed which this is very much someone who's fed up with all the bullshit and is like it's time to put this to bed we attracted the attention with a clickbaity title in the first report now we're fed up we've got stuff to do fine yeah (laughs) so the report dug deep into the allegations of alien bodies and what did it find well the report suggests that the claims of alien bodies were likely the result of misinterpretations and confusions involving several unrelated incidents Sounds ominous. Sounds like they're trying to cover something up. Another cover-up. For example, the report mentioned the recovery of anthropomorphic dummies used in high-altitude parachute drop tests in the U.S. Air Force conducted in the desert in the 1950s. Now, these dummies were designed to simulate human beings.
1: Like crash test
0: dummies imagine that they were quite gray in color like coppery quite short and stout sometimes it would just be the torso they did look like humans I'd encourage you to look at some of them online you could kind of see how over 30 years when the first accounts of alien bodies started coming out mm-hmm. that this could be misremembered as that potentially okay if someone saw these maybe inside an, the back of an ambulance for whatever reason like you'd be like, like, like <gasps> Do you know what I mean? You would
1: I guess it's one of those things if you're not exposed to this or have seen it in on TV, you know, that's probably more scarce as well. Or
0: you want to cash in and like you have a story that could plausibly be an alien and you want your 15 minutes of fame. You want to be in Charles Blitzen Elmore's book from the 1980s, The Roswell Report. It could happen, Adam. <laughs> I would do it. I tell lies. <laughs> Additionally, the report suggested that the depictions of small non-human beings could have originated from the misidentification of military personnel who participated in the recovery of the project mogul debris. And finally, the report noted that the Roswell incident had been conflated with other unrelated incidents, such as the recovery of a capsule containing the remains of a monkey, sadly, used for medical experiments.
1: Which the, the RAAF base
0: was using? Did you
1: send monkeys up into space?
0: I think maybe testing high-altitude stuff. So, for example, and I can't verify any of this, but they would often want to test how altitude affected the human body. Mm -hmm. So they would often send animals up in these balloons to test to see what would happen if they were at a really high altitude to see whether or not can we send a human being on Mm -hmm. these mogul balloons. And there are rumours that they would send disabled people up in these balloons because they wouldn't be missed. They were maybe suffering from mental health issues. They were maybe in concentration camps. That was an interesting theory because remember, during the Second World War, a lot of Japanese people were interned in concentration camps. And if any of them were disabled, then maybe they were used. And if a body did come down with Project Mogul and bodies were seen, would they have been mistaken for and Japanese they... people?
1: And maybe the, with their body, maybe, have I don't know. With The air pressure and stuff may have... If
0: reacted. they were sending dead bodies up at that altitude and maybe the bodies weren't as fresh as you think. Maybe they've gone a bit grey in colour after a few days. Sounds um, like
1: a conspiracy there.
0: It sounds like <laughs> a conspiracy and it didn't make it into this, but that is one of the things. Okay. Now, some people claim that witnesses were intimidated by government officials. But the report explains that this was just normal security procedures surrounding classified military projects like Project Mogul. And the aim was to protect sensitive national security information. Considering the time and the backdrop that this happened, you could understand how that would be plausible, right? Mm secret about espionage and all that stuff How they were spying they don't want to get yeah they don't want they that don't want to look look. out so yeah. yeah that's almost justifies the intimidation right but it's not about alien bodies or the recovery of extraterrestrial sure. it's about protecting state secrets but of course some people remain skeptical and maintained this belief that the u.s air force is still hiding the truth about what we really happened So while the official explanation and investigation into the Roswell UFO incident have offered plausible explanations for many of the claims and conspiracy theories that have arisen over the years, people are still fascinated by this topic. And I think this is something that really reflects the curiosity about the possibility of extraterrestrial life. What do you think? I think people
1: aren't going to be satisfied. I think if you believe in aliens... Mm -hmm. you're never going to be satisfied with a report that comes out and go, no, that wasn't it. You're still going to want to go, no, there must be something. It all sounds quite logical given the backdrop and the story and how maybe something's got misconstrued and the fact that there was such a big gap before people Mm -hmm. really even thought about it. She thought if there was... Uh, if there was something, maybe there would have been rumblings throughout those years. Maybe mm-hmm. there was, but it just wasn't. The
0: thing is, though, sometimes it takes a big voice to get things into popular culture, and that started with that Stanton Fieldman mm. report in the 70s and 80s, which then when he did the interview with Marcel, that really kick-started things, yeah. right? So sometimes you can scream as loud as you like, but it doesn't matter. It depends how big your voice is at the time. I
1: guess, why would we cover up aliens? That's the question I, we've yeah, got to ask. that is. Why? Like, we're happy to release information if that we find a new planet or mm-hmm. something in the galaxy. In and everyone inches. knows that we're
0: looking out for aliens. People know that we're in the search for aliens. And we're
1: sending robots to Mars yeah. and everything to kind of look for life so if we're doing that why wouldn't we go well yeah like, there's a the whole idea that there's a fear that could people go into hysteria if people found out that or mm-hmm. there's information that we find that could be damaging to us as a mm-hmm. species yeah um but there was a report not so long ago about a coherent radio signal that was found from a particular planet But i think that was more to do with magnetic was this so, recently yeah this was this month i remember seeing it and it was just a coherent radio signal has been detected from an alien planet. So again, this kind of language probably fuels people They're like, oh, an alien planet. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Alien could just mean anything that's not Earth.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it was suggesting it could be habitable. So this mm-hmm. radio signal, which is, I think, generated through a magnetic field similar to our magnetic field, therefore, there's, it could host life. So it's this kind of story, I think, that people have and that this gives people hope to think, yes, there's something out there. Yeah. And so therefore anything any experience that we have with aliens or something unexplained
0: yeah and the thing is uh, these stories are so compelling and the interesting thing is is that this story of roswell is the touchstone right it's the origin of this entire movement Mm. this is why we have this fascination whether or not it's true or false now before we conclude today's episode let's quickly summarize the key points that we've covered about the Roswell UFO incident and the lasting impact on ufology, that's a real word, and the modern UFO culture. Now, in July 1947, a mysterious object crashed near Roswell, sparking widespread speculation about its origins, leading to one of the most controversial UFO cases in history. We talked about the historical landscape around the time the incident took place which was of course during the early days of the cold war when tensions were high and the u.s military had a significant presence in roswell we discussed the debris from the crash that was discovered on fossil ranch leading to initial reports and reactions from the military and the press and the military's changing statements first claiming that it was a crash flying saucer and then later a weather balloon and how this fueled conspiracy theories and speculations in the years to come. We then discussed the various theories that emerged, including claims of a government cover-up, stories of alien bodies and autopsies, and the influence that the incident had on popular culture and entertainment. We then looked at the multiple investigations and reports conducted, including the 1994 U.S. Air Force report on Project Mogul, and the 1997 report debunking claims of alien bodies. And that's everything we covered today. So before we go into closing statements, just a couple of questions for you. What's your take on this iconic UFO incident, and has your opinion changed from when it started? Well, I
1: think I started this podcast thinking it might be aliens. (laughs) And then... I guess I've always thought it was something to do with the government and some sort of cover-up, but actually there's nothing really there. Mm -hmm. But never really understood what the rationale and the logic was for people to think it was aliens or not. Mm -hmm. And so from this, I think we've kind of got the actually the setting of the scene of why it was reported in the way it is. That's it.
0: I think considering the historical context, you could understand how a story like this could evolve. And that's why I changed the story up to kind of, preload this episode with the historical context and the backdrop and the military presence around Roswell, because I think that added a lot of context to justify why people would have thought that it could have been a crashed Mm -hmm. UFO site. Do you think that we'll ever get to the bottom of this story?
1: I think we've got the story. I think that's it.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of sad that there's not forfeit. Slender little aliens running out there
0: I know, I wanted to believe as well
1: But, you know, there's still hope
0: There is hope I don't think they are going to be slender aliens I think if there is life out there, it's going to be unlike anything we could even fathom But yeah, I am sad that it's not aliens I did really want to believe Hence why I said earlier on This is why it's taken so long to write this episode Because I wanted there to be something salacious and intriguing And it was an interesting episode but yeah. it just wasn't Aliens, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think we've found out why people thought it was and the, yeah. and the hype and the,
0: behind it. It all stems from not knowing what damn plastic is or Chinese writing. <laughs> if they just had that sorted from the very beginning, we wouldn't be in this situation now.
1: Maybe that's why now everything says where it's made from, so there's no
0: ambiguity. They go, oh, this was made in China. <laughs> yes. Wherever that I is. I love that. <laughs> there we go. So that's it for this episode of The Compendium. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again for more exciting and thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of fascinating topics. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and share our podcast with your friends and family. We'd love to also hear your thoughts and your feedback on the Roswell UFO incident, as well as any suggestions for any future episodes or topics that you think we should be covering. You can connect with us on Instagram. Do you know our Instagram handle, Adam?
1: The Compendium Podcast.
0: Yes. <laughs> or you can send us an email at
1: The Compendium Pod at gmail.com.
0: Well done. We always look forward to hearing from our listeners. Until next time, this is Kyle signing off for The Compendium.
1: And I, Adam, signing off for The Compendium. So stay curious, keep exploring, and never stop questioning. Said, see ya. See you next week.